It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Athletic Obscura podcast that is home of the weird, strange, and unknown in sports. My name is Seth Mormon, and across the table for me is once again my good friend Richard Manning. How you doing, Seth? How you doing, everybody? Good, good, Thank good, you good. for joining us again. Uh, Rich, last episode we talked about uh, kind of that idea of relocation in sports. We started with uh, the city of Oakland, and we moved uh, heavily to talk about the city of Baltimore and what it's been through, kind of through the ringer. Teams moving in and out, tons of fun. If you missed that episode, feel free to go back, give it a listen. Again, if you have a topic idea for us, want to ask a question or quibble with us, like uh, what year did the Browns move to Baltimore? 1954. 54, are you sure? Uh, yeah, I actually looked it up on my phone before we started recording, okay, good. just right. to make sure. You can send us an email to athleticobscura at gmail.com. Again, if you're like me, you can't spell. That uh, is going to be a direct link in the show notes. If you have not subscribed to the podcast, we'd love for you to do so. Share the podcast with your friends as well. All right. All that business junk out of the way. Let's dive into our topic today, Richard. You ready? Yeah, I am ready. All right. This is a good one. As we finished up our last episode, we kind of teased a little bit of the information that kind of connects the city of Baltimore to kind of what we're going to be talking about today, and that's the potential move of the St. Louis Browns of the American League to Los Angeles for the 1942 season. I had never heard of this before, Richard. Neither did I. Brand new information to me. Now, I would say, and, I, and I'm going to share a little article with us all, and we're going to talk about it. If that move would have happened, it would have totally changed the landscape of baseball world. So we're going to play a little game today, Richard. I'm going to drive the, the truck here, and we're going to talk about what might have happened if the Browns did make the move to L.A. in 42. And I'm going to be completely transparent here, this topic. And in fact, uh, we're pretty much going to be reading the article from Mike Petrillo uh, from MLB.com. Uh, he uh, uh, published this article December 25 of 2020 on MLB.com. You can still get the link. I'm going to put a link to this article directly into the show notes. Um, it, uh, the article is called The L.A. Browns, How One Day in 1941 Changed MLB. So that's kind of what we're going to be talking about today, and uh, I'm going to get your thoughts on all this. Sound good, Richard? Sounds good. All right. Go for it. So I'm just going to start reading, uh, and it's a fascinating story, and it begins in the second week of the final month of 1941. The owners of the Major League Ball Clubs convened at the Palmer House in Chicago for the winter meetings. Got to be cold, right? 1941 oh, yeah. in Chicago. Why didn't they pick like Florida? That's where because they go they now. Had, they had minor league teams back there, right? Right. So they would always like nowadays. Where do they go? Florida, Florida. Or, I mean, or, or they go to the, the Fond Phoenix was there, and I mean, it was a swinging place. They had the whole Art Deco thing in Miami. Right. It would have been cool. Could have been awesome. All right. Anyways, um, they were there, uh, and among other business, they were expected to make a vote that would completely uh, remake continental footprint of Major League Baseball and change the course of sports history. Pretty bold claim in this article, but I think he's he's on to something. Yeah. The St. Louis Browns, remember we talked about them last week, American League team ended up moving to Baltimore in what year? 1954. 50, we're never going to forget it. Yeah. Right? They moved oh, to 1954. Yeah. But they were seeking approval to head west to Los Angeles. Uh, 
So the long struggling Browns, the team you know today as the Baltimore Orioles, had given up on Missouri, unable to compete in the American League on the field or with the rival Cardinals off it. Browns ownership had decided to move the team to Los Angeles for the 1942 season, becoming the first major American professional sports franchise on the West Coast. We'll stop right there. Fascinating, right? Right, yeah, and a little bit about the the Browns at this point. Yeah, they were horrible. They were never in a World Series by then. They had one player, I think, of of superstar Hall of Fame stature that is kind of a known Hall of Famer, George Sisler. Yeah, right. Who uh, held the uh, record for most hits in in a season for like 80 years until Darren Erstad of the Angels broke it. Yeah, I remember that. That was yeah, bonkers. It bonkers. was absolutely bonkers. Right. But yeah. Back to the article. The Browns had preliminary approval from the other owners. They had funding promises from AP Giannitti, the California-based co-founder of Bank of America. So they had some money behind mm-hmm. this. They had a minor league ballpark ready to use at Los Angeles's Wrigley Field. If you don't know anything about L.A.'s Wrigley Field, that's another whole fascinating thing that we need to get into at some point. But Mm -hmm. it's basically a clone of Wrigley Field in Chicago, of course, that turned out a little bit differently. The old uh, show, uh, Home Run Derby. Yeah. Like the old black and white show filmed at Wrigley Field in Los Angeles. That's where the Angels end up going. All right, but that's not where we're heading. All right. Uh, and they had uh, an agreement to enlarge the field as well. They handled territorial issues by agreeing to purchase the Los Angeles Angels of the Pacific Coast League, who had moved south to Long Beach. Fascinating, right? We would have had the Angels in Long Beach. Anyways, um, and they would have been the Browns' top farm club, and they would have acquired several other best players as well. Pitcher Jesse Flores, who would throw 231 and a third innings with a 3.11 ERA for the Philadelphia A's in 43. And Jittery Joe Barry, who would put up a 1.94 ERA in 111 and a third innings for the A's in 44. With a nickname like Jittery Joe, I hope that he was a knuckleball pitcher. <laughs> that would be awesome. Yeah. Uh, They had worked uh, with the head of TWA Airlines and the operators of the Chicago to Los Angeles Santa Fe Railroad to hammer out a schedule with the American League office that satisfied the considerable travel concerns. Obviously, if you got one team that's all the way out in the West Coast and everybody's got to travel out there, so they work with TWA and the railroad. And you got to also realize that flying in 1941 is a completely different animal than it is now. Yeah, no jet bridges. No, no lounges, and that I mean, and just the time constraints. It, it did not take as long. It did not take as little time yeah. to fly from L.A. to somewhere else. Fascinating. All right, even the Cardinals were on board. Owner Sam Braden uh, had offered the Browns two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. That would be more than four million dollars in today's money to simply get out of town. Brown's owner, Donald Barnes, was quoted in the St. Louis Star-Times that month, sounding confident about the viability of Los Angeles. And he said, quote, There has been considerable talk about taking one club out of St. Louis. I consider Los Angeles the most desirable city for a major league team. Transportation problems could be solved through air travel. The Browns were so certain that they were moving that they had even set up a news conference in Los Angeles at Lyman's Cafe. All they needed was for the official vote, which was expected to pass. The Browns would head west more than 15 years before the Dodgers and the Giants ended up doing so. And so the vote was scheduled. It was to take place in Chicago on the morning of Monday, December the 8th, 1941. The news conference in Los Angeles was scheduled for 1 p.m. Pacific time the same day. The Browns would triumphantly introduce themselves to Southern California Major League Baseball, and then Major League Baseball would span from coast to coast. Now, the vote indeed took place, and each team voted against the move, including the Browns. The Browns voted against it. Now, if you know anything about American history, you know what had happened. The Browns would okay, remain. They, they did. Okay, so yep. I thought it was before nope. the actual meeting. Okay, nope. so they all voted on December 8th. Yep. Got the it. Browns would remain in St. Louis, and baseball would not arrive in California until 1958. The night before, while the Browns owners were at Comiskey Park in Chicago watching the NFL's Bears beat the Cardinals 34-24 to and eagerly anticipating the next day's presumed success, word reached the continental United States about the attack on Pearl Harbor and America's subsequent entry into World War II. Quickly realizing the timing clearly wasn't right to move the team 1,800 miles west, 
Brown's ownership reversed course on the plan. The Browns stayed in St. Louis for another dozen years, eventually moving to Baltimore following the 1953 season. See, you got it right, Richard. Good job. To become (laughs) the Orioles. But, and this is where it starts getting fun, Richard, what if they didn't? What if that vote had happened before Pearl Harbor and it wasn't rescinded? Or a mere one season sooner? Or if Japan had attacked later? Or never? Or if America had never entered the war at all? What if, like, uh, much like the fact that the National League doesn't have the designated hitter because of an ill-timed 1980 fishing trip, we've talked about that yes. before, we'll get into that in yes. another episode, this one single thing had gone differently. The Browns wouldn't be the Orioles, and they wouldn't be in Baltimore. They'd be nearing their 80th anniversary in Los Angeles. Think about that. If this happened, the Browns would be having their 80th anniversary here in Los Angeles. And the butterfly effect of that one single event uh, would render baseball history almost unrecognizable compared to what we know today. And nearly half of the teams in baseball might call different cities home. So this is where we're going to have some fun, Richard. We're going to kind of lean into a little chaos theory. We're going to see how this is going to play out. Maybe that vote was scheduled for December 1st. Or what if it happened a year before? Maybe it happened the morning of December 7th. Because remember, that the, the thing that's fascinating about this is they found out about Pearl Harbor at night while they were watching a football game. Right. So they could have had that meeting the morning of the 7th and announced, yeah, the Browns are, sending, are going to Los Angeles after the Pearl Harbor attack, but before word hit the mainland. Yeah, fascinating. Which is absolutely crazy. So many uh, uh, ifs and what ifs and buts that that could have have been in here. Um, But as you know, it did not happen. Yeah. Uh, They ended up not moving. And what's fascinating is, we talked about this before, but Pearl Harbor disrupted a couple other things that that have nothing to do with World War II. The St. Louis Browns, but on another show, on on another... uh, plane um in the world of geography and politics um we were looking at the possibility of a 51st state yeah so there's a group of uh there's a group of uh people from northern california and southern oregon that were in the talks to present a breakaway from uh, california and oregon to form their own state called jefferson and they had actually had gotten a committee together, and they were going to present this, and Congress was going to hear their presentation. Well, within like four or five days, the main guy behind that group suddenly dropped dead of a heart attack, and then Pearl Harbor happened, and that kind of disbanded. Yeah, there's been a little bit of revival of that whole Jefferson thing. There has. Too, but that, yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's weird. When you drive up I-5 I- through the Shastas, you see signs of State of Jefferson, but that's another thing about how Pearl Harbor had this whole ripple effect. Yeah, pretty pretty amazing. I mean, when you hear that uh, a day that will live in infamy, um, it, it's true. I mean, it's been been a long time uh, since that's happened, and we're you know we're 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 going to be pushing up to the the 80th anniversary of it here at the end of the year. And and I I want to be perfectly clear, everybody who's listening, I don't want to make light of anything that happened at Pearl Harbor. You know, the, Not at the, all. the atrocities that happened there, the people who lost their lives, the family who families, members who died, uh, all of that things. This is just a little fun haha game. So I, I want to be very clear that that I, I want to be respectful to what happened uh, there. Um, it, it was a tragedy. Um, but it did. You know, if that doesn't happen and the Browns come to Los Angeles, that has some pretty kind of interesting, fun little things that, that we can do. Now, before we get into the ifs and buts, we do want to take a, a real quick break. So uh, we'll get into this. The fun will be on the other side. So uh, hang with us. Hold on. We'll be, on, we'll be right back. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. 
Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Rich and I may be new at podcasting, but our podcast partner is not. We use Anchor.fm to host and distribute the Athletic Obscura podcast. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way we have found to make and distribute a podcast. Let me explain. First of all, it's totally free, which is a huge selling point for us. Second, there are a ton of creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. No additional software needed and no complex programs to learn. Once you've recorded your podcast, Anchor will distribute it for you. So it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many, many more. One of the coolest things is that you can actually make money from your podcast right away. No need to wait to grow your audience as there are no minimum listener requirements to be met, which helps you when you're just starting out. Anchor has everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. All right, welcome back from the break. All right, Rich. Yes. Are you ready? I am ready. All right, we're going to have a little bit of fun uh, with uh, this uh, possible scenario of the Browns moving to Los Angeles uh, back for the 1942 season. I'm continuing with uh, with um, an article that was um, put out actually Christmas Day 2020 on MLB.com. I'm going to put a link to the uh, to the whole article in the show notes. But we're going to now kind of say uh, if the Browns move to Los Angeles, what what is the butterfly effect? What are the dominoes that are going to fall? And we're going to take these kind of uh, one at a time, and we're just going to talk about them, react about them, and we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. So uh, the article continues. So this is the chunk 1942. Yes, it's possible that the Browns would have been called the Stars or the Angels or another name with an established baseball history in Los Angeles. But we'll stick with the Browns here. Much as the Dodgers and the Giants kept their names, they'd have uh, beaten the NFL Rams to Southern California by four years and, uh-huh. by the, and the NBA's Lakers by 18. They'd have been the first... Uh, to some incredibly fertile new ground. You've seen how successful the Dodgers have been over the years, right? This could have been a massively prosperous franchise. It's true that the Browns wouldn't have arrived with Sandy Koufax and Don Drysdale on the roster as the Dodgers did, though the 41 Browns did have a 20-year-old shortstop, Vern Steffens, a Long Beach native who would become an eight-time All-Star and hit 39 homers in 49, and they wouldn't have come with the, and they wouldn't have come with the social currency having been the team of Jackie Robinson. Vince, Vince Goley wouldn't have been the voice of generations of California kids, and it wouldn't be exactly the same. Well, it wouldn't be the same at all. all right. But let's, well, let's stop there for a second because I think some of the stuff that they talk about is uh, pretty unique and interesting because you also got to look at the context of the city of Los Angeles. Oh, without a doubt. Because then they were really making the transition between uh, being the small town with Hollywood and being like, you know, to the major industry town that it is now. I mean, you look at old photos of of Los Angeles back then. Uh, This was before the freeway system and before Los Angeles became the prototypical driving city you still had the old pacific electric railroad that Mm -hmm. zipped all over the place uh and it was still kind of a smaller city it wasn't like manhattan you know new york or chicago or even san francisco so a browns team there in 1941 or 42 you got to think that maybe that would have expedited things a little bit more oh very well could have yeah you know 
Yeah, and 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 how does actually the landscape of Southern California change if they if they move for the nineteen forty two season? We'll get to that in a moment yeah. because we have a big moment, a big movement that's really very really directly affected the Los Angeles landscape coming in around the mid fifties. Sure, sure, absolutely. All right, back to the article. But with a massive Los Angeles market all to themselves, the reborn brands become a baseball powerhouse. When Don Larson throws baseball's first and only postseason perfect game in the 1956 World Series, he does so at Brown Stadium in Los Angeles, having remained with a team that signed him as an amateur in 1947. That's, that's absolutely bonkers, which also begs the question, now that they mentioned Brown Stadium, where would Brown Stadium be? Yeah, so maybe you don't have the whole Chavez Ravine. That's thing. exactly what we'll talk about. We'll get yeah. to that with the whole uh, yeah. Walter O'Malley moving here to L- when yeah. O'Malley comes up in the story. But because yeah. again, there were very there were fertile places to put, and if you know the Los Angeles landscape, uh, I'm almost thinking that you know because there again no freeways, Pacific Electric Railroad is in play. Uh, there's all kinds of different places that you could have put it at that weren't necessarily developed the way they look now. Oh, absolutely. And 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 uh, mid-40s would have been a whole different ballgame. I'm almost thinking like around the area where Baldwin Hills is at, around Culver City. Oh, sure. You would have had the landscape there, and I don't think that was really developed yeah. yet because that's where uh, I know Kenneth Hahn Park is there now. Um, and so I don't know if they would have made a movement to do something there because you would have still had that beautiful, like kind of weird hilly landscape in the middle of the city. Beautiful. Kind of like how Chavez Ravine is. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you could have done a whole, that's just one of the places, you know? Yep. A few other things. Children, back to the article, by the way, children all over Southern California area grew up, grow up wearing brown and orange. Decades later, when the beloved movie The Sandlot is made in 1993, Benny the Jet Rodriguez is seen wearing a Browns hat as he dreams of growing up to represent his hometown brownies. That's, yeah, that's... (laughs) Fun stuff, right? (laughs) That's fun. The Brown Derby, if you don't know the Brown Derby... yeah, big restaurant, is thrilled with the sponsorship opportunities through the occasional attempts to model the team's caps after the ubiquitous restaurant chain had offered mixed results at best. The Browns, foregoing on more than three quarters of a century now, have been regarded as one of baseball's crown jewels, spoken of in the same breaths as the Yankees, Cubs, Cardinals, and Red Sox. So a few things. First of all, I remember the Brown Derby, and I can almost picture a promotion where every time they would make the World Series, if they make the World Series, where they would put the little Browns, the B logo, on top of the Brown Derby when you ate there. Sure, absolutely. Um, you know, um, so there's that. Really, as far as the crown jewel thing goes, it really depends on ownership and management because you got to remember that if they moved – they still would have had the same ownership. Don Barnes would have still owned the team, and they didn't really get good until they went to Baltimore in 54 and exchanged hands and really drafted and built that team with Brooks Robinson trading for Frank Robinson. Yep. Do those trades happen? Do those things happen? Yep. Or do they still wind up being a team that ends up you know, just being horrible? Yeah, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about some of that coming up, too. Yeah. So here's the next piece of the puzzle there. All right. All right. Um, if, if, the, if the Browns move, Major League Baseball is going to want another team on the West Coast. Right. Right, because just one team on the West Coast makes it really hard. Two teams mm-hmm. makes it a little bit easier. In real life, when both uh, the Dodgers and the Giants move out West – that's a good thing. That's a good thing for baseball. Yep. So we're going to kind of kind of talk about who who is the next team then that moves. So in real life, the Brooklyn Dodgers, I'm back in the article here, convinced the New York Giants to move west to California with them, largely in order to have a rival on the coast to cut down on travel costs. Our Browns have to suffer with travel for their first few years, partially by train, occasionally by air, but lots of three-week road trips. Could you imagine that, Richard? That's brutal. 
A three-week um, road trip. No, um, because back then you had eight teams in each league, and I believe you played in each other's stadium four times because of the 154-game schedule, and yep. that's just how the, yep, the, the logistics works. work. So that would be multiple three-week road trips. Yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. This is not the Grammy trip that the Lakers and the Kings have to take every year when the Grammys would be in the Staples Center. Yeah, or the uh, or the uh, circus trip that the Blackhawks have to take right. and the Bulls have to take. Exactly. Yeah. Um, all right, so it quickly becomes clear that they need a partner. Given their wild California success, it's not difficult to find one. In the days before interleague play, it has to be an American League team. Enter, ready? The mm-hmm. Philadelphia Athletics. Yep. Who, like the Browns, were the second team in a two-team town that only really needed one. The real A's, of course, moved to Kansas City in 1955 and then to Oakland in 1968. And now we're back at the beginning of episode one, but that's yes. a whole other thing. All right. <laughs> um, so in, in this scenario, we're skipping a step and we're adding a few uh, miles. The Max, longtime owners of the team, sell to San Francisco businessman Paul Fagan, who purchased the Pacific Coast League San Francisco Seals in 1945 and spent millions upgrading their their stadium with the express purpose of placing a major league team there in our fantasy world that gamble pays off and of course we know that the giants end up playing at seal stadium for a little bit before candlestick park is built and so a lot of that uh, ends up happening like the browns the a's now prosper as the main draw in their bustling new home with no need to serve as an unofficial farm team for the Yankees, as the Kansas City A's did for much of the 1950s, mm-hmm. San Francisco A's hang on to the young players, like Roger Maris, who will make uh, a few all-star teams but doesn't break any homer records and otherwise has a solid yet forgettable career in the blue and red. Now, remember, the A's don't don green and gold until halfway through their Kansas City tenure, which was the brainchild of Charlie, Charlie O'Finley. Absolutely. After some time at the old Seal Stadium, the A's spend decades at Candlestick Park before moving into a beautiful jewel of a ballpark on the San Francisco Bay, the envy of all those who see it. I would agree with the Athletics being the team if you have to pick from the American League. Yeah. Because, you know, they were, um, you know, I mean, they would move eventually. This one affects me personally. <laughs> Because my dad grew up a big Philadelphia A's fan. Yeah. And he would tell me all sto- all kinds of stories about how he would take the train from Trenton, New Jersey, up to Philadelphia and see the A's play at Connie Mack Stadium. Fascinating. And that goes away. Yeah. So, I mean, does he become a Phillies fan? See, he, this is, see how the butterfly he, effect works? Yeah, or does he become a Senators fan or heaven forbid because he's not that far from New York. He becomes a Yankee fan. Yeah. Could you imagine? No, (laughs) I don't want my dad to be a Yankees fan. That would be horrible. All right. And in this whole scenario, uh, we're going to let the Boston Braves move to Milwaukee in 1954. All right. So we'll, we'll let that happen. Um, But as we move on to 1954, um, the, you know, the real Giants moved to San Francisco at the behest of the Dodgers, uh, but they had to be talked out of their original plan, you know, before. Which was? Which was they were going to move to Minneapolis. Oh. So the Giants were going to move to Minneapolis, and the Dodgers then convinced them to come out west. Getting back to the article, Giants ownership owned the AAA Minneapolis Millers, which under the rules of the time had given them the rights to Major League Baseball in the Twin Cities, and the team owner, Horace Stoneham, owned land in the area. Mays, had act, Willie Mays, had actually yep. played for the Millers in 1951, hitting, well, ridiculous, four, 400. 477. Yeah. All right? And the Giants uh, then um, have a formal apology to Minnesota fans for taking them away from in real life. Yeah. They, 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 uh, they apologize to it. Now, with with the Dodgers obviously not dragging them out west because now the Browns are in Los Angeles, the Giants go forward with the move to Minnesota in our alternate timeline, and in the process, they bring Mays back to the fans he'd been forced to leave several years earlier. The first time around, he lived at 3616 4th Avenue South. After 17 more years in the Twin Cities, he lives forever in the hearts of Minneapolis. 
Minneapolis. Minneapolis. Minnesota. Minnesotans. Minnesota. That's better. Yeah. All right. That said, when the Giants make it to the World Series in 54, they do so in Metropolitan Stadium, which in reality is now has to, uh, was completed in 56, but it has to get bumped up slightly for our purposes. When Cleveland's Vic Wirtz comes up in the eighth inning of a 2-2 tie in game one of the World Series, his deep blast to center field goes... For a three-run homer, yep. giving the Indians the win and the momentum to take the series, marking the 111-win World Series champion 1954 Tribe as one of the greatest teams of all time. Yeah, absolutely, because the only reason Willie Mays makes the catch is because, you know, um, center field of Polo Grounds probably went out to Yonkers. Yeah, right. It was forever. It was ridiculous. It was like 480 feet. Yeah, so so if, if that goes over and then the... Cleveland wins the World Series. It's a whole different, whole different things happen. Whole different thing. And yeah. here's the other thing uh, with the uh, Twins having that stadium that 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 built. Oh, here's another thing. So you said the Braves moved to Milwaukee, and I guess you know. Okay, well that doesn't. Oh, so they would move to 54 instead of 53. Um, does and you said the Giants would move in 54, mm-hmm. so they would move at the same year. Does the Met get built? Now, follow me on right, this. Okay. Because the Met, the, the whole reason that the Twins, uh, that Minnesota built the Mets, Met Stadium was to lure a baseball team. Sure. And they got their cue from the city of Milwaukee, who built Milwaukee County Stadium, as a means to lure a baseball team. They landed the Braves out of that. So... If that's the case, do they build a stadium that's better? Mm. And if they do, a few years later, when the Minnesota Vikings come yeah. into the NFL, do they have a better, more football-friendly stadium that actually helps keep them a little bit out of the cold a little bit better? Yeah, because Metropolitan Stadium was, was a horrible brutal. stadium for football. And the sidelines were terrible for football, too. Yeah, and... So does that change the NFL landscape? I bet it does. So now we're actually getting into a weird era where the St. Louis Browns is actually affecting a different sport altogether. Yeah, and then so there's no big red chair sitting on a wall in the Mall of America. That's probably a good thing. <laughs> right, probably. Yeah, yeah. And there's no home play. I don't know. I've been in Minneapolis. You have too. Yep, yep. And we didn't go anywhere near the mall. Yeah. I I went to the mall one time. Anyways, we don't need to go about around yeah. here. So basically, if if this hall plays out, the catch doesn't happen. Yeah, the catch does not happen exactly. Yeah, and uh, who knows? Maybe fifty one doesn't happen either. Yeah, there's a lot of that's yeah, crazy, crazy, yeah. crazy. All right, let's move on. 1958. That's a big. That's a big year in yep. move, move in in baseball. Um, just because the Giants left New York. Um, earlier doesn't mean that the Dodgers, as New York's sole remaining National League team, have all their problems disappear. Ebbets Field is still outdated and unworkable, and polarizing New York City public official Robert Moses was still only offering land in Queens, where today's real-world Mets now play. Queens, not being Brooklyn, Dodgers, Walter, Dodgers owner Walter O'Malley fled to the West Coast in the reality that we know. That stadium issue holds constant here. As well, but with the Browns well established in Los Angeles, O'Malley doesn't want to be second fiddle in another town. Instead, in our hypothetical timeline, he takes his Dodgers to another fresh new ground for baseball Texas, specifically Dallas, where O'Malley and the Dodgers had owned the minor league Fort Worth Cats since after the war. All right. So, in reality, they had to, uh, O'Malley had to swap them as part of the deal for the rights to Los Angeles. Okay. So it would have been the same thing. You know, they had they had the rights for Major League Baseball there because yep. they owned the Fort Worth Cats. Right. So the, the Dallas Dodgers, no, that name doesn't make sense either, but neither does Los Angeles Dodgers, if you really think about it. They enjoy immediate, immediate success thanks to Koufax, Drysdale, and eventually the larger-than-life Tommy Lasorda, who fits in perfectly to Texas. To this day, Scully is the voice of Texas sports, and as a bonus, their first-round pick in 2006 grew up cheering for his hometown team, the pride of Highland Park High School in North Dallas, Clayton Kershaw. So here's a few things. This is one where I think I could take 
off into a little different spin. Oh, I, spin away. So the main reason why O'Malley um, did not want to move to Flushing Meadows where Moses was trying to offer it was there wasn't, it was essentially a bad real estate deal. And O'Malley had a real estate background. Mm. So if, you know, if they were able to work out that deal a little bit better, maybe he stays with, because the lure of going looking at Los Angeles is a lot more appealing than Dallas. Oh, because yeah. by this time in the 50s, Los Angeles is kind of, that what you picture now, because you had the mid-century modern look, you have the bungalows, you have the freeway system, you have all of this stuff. So, of course, he's going to look at that. Te- Dallas was not built up like it is now. Uh, so I don't know how much appeal that would be. Uh, and maybe, you know, maybe he sticks around and maybe just uh, gets a little more leverage into because he doesn't have a uh, partner to move out with him in the Giants. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. maybe that makes him dig his heels in and try to get a better deal out of Flushing Meadows. Well, and they had some pretty um, – they were pretty far along in the, the stadium design as well. Yeah. It, it, you know, they, they were even looking at a dome, mm-hmm. and there's some pretty fascinating things that the Dodgers were doing. That's for yeah. sure. And um, the other thing is – and this is the – you alluded to this earlier – the big thing that changes out of this. So, oh, anyway, I, I think that um, I still, I actually think that there's a decent chance that a deal gets brokered and they figure out a way to keep the Dodgers in New York. They move to Flushing Meadows. The New York Mets don't exist. Mm, yeah. And yeah. Uh, Vince Scully becomes the voice of the Mets. Yeah. Amazing, right? Right. I didn't so, mean that as amazing Mets. That was funny. That was just yeah, uh, just slipped. Yeah, meet the Mets. But anyway, uh, but time for Metropolitan Mets. Baseball. Oh, you know he would call it the Metropolitans. Of course he would. You'd still uh, be a closet Giants fan, which is great. But uh, <laughs> no, the biggest thing that changes out of this is you don't have the Chavez Ravine debacle, right? And if you don't know about this, and this should be a thing that we probably go and do yep. a separate episode on, but. Long story short, O'Malley was considered the enemy yeah. of the Los Angeles Latino population because yep. he essentially displaced an entire neighborhood of multi-generational uh, Mexicans and Latinos um, out of where Chavez Ravine yep. is now and Dodger Stadium to is build now the stadium. Yep. to build the stadium. And they had lost an entire generation of of uh, baseball fans because back in the 50s and 60s and 70s, uh, the Mexican population of Los Angeles hated the Dodgers. Yeah, yeah. So out of a desperate plea because they knew how much money and revenue, being the financially savvy guy that family, the O'Malley's were, they decided to send down um, um, scouts down to Mexico to find talent. And lo and behold, they found this uh, fat 19-year-old dude named Fernando Valenzuela that had a killer uh, screwball. Fernando Mini is born. And uh, the rest is history. history. Absolutely. So, yeah. So, the the St. Louis Browns essentially was responsible for Fernando Mania. Yeah, right. Right? Yeah, Yeah, if they don't That doesn't happen. Right, that doesn't happen. Because, again, if the Browns move to, like, Baldwin Hills or anywhere else in the city that doesn't displace, you know, generational Latinos, there's no need to scout to Mexico. There's no need to find Fernando Valenzuela. Fascinating. Fascinating. All right, let's move on. 1961, um, going on with our continued uh, um, article here. Um, Baseball went through heavy expansion in the 1960s, and that still happens here. Uh, of course, in the, ni- in the real 1961, the Angels arrive as uh, the AL wants to get a foothold in Southern California. Um, and um, uh, I'm on the wrong page here. Oh, there we go. And to, fi- to fight off the proposed Continental League, uh, since the AL has been there for two decades already, when Gene Autry's new team arrives, it does so in the National League. 
The good news is that decades later, they still draft Mike Trout. The bad news is that without the designated hitter, Shohei Otani chooses the Browns instead. And we'll leave it up to you. Uh, uh, news is that without the DH, Albert Pujol signs elsewhere after leaving the Cardinals. So Yeah, he's headed for the Angels, and then uh, he, you know, he still signs for the uh, – no, he's headed for the Browns yep. because of the AL team, and the Browns up and the Angels pick him up. Yeah, right, exactly. So, so it's just a reverse skate, yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah. He eventually ends up with the Angels. Yeah. Um, and uh, every, every year then, the Dodgers make three trips to Los Angeles as the visiting team, plus a fourth whenever they visit the Browns in interleague play. <laughs> right? Fascinating, yeah, fascinating stuff. You know – and with the Angels, you know, how does that, you know, because the other thing, the Angels and a couple of those other teams, you know, no, the Angels, because they're an expansion team in the National League, how does that change their philosophy from 1973 on? Oh, yeah. Because now all of a sudden, you know, the Angels in the 70s and 80s had this terrible habit of getting old guys that were kind of decrepit, but hey, you can swing a bat. You can hide them in the DH spot. Does that change? Yeah. Does Don Baylor win the AO? Uh, he, does Don Baylor win the MVP in '79? Does Reggie Jackson become an angel? Yeah. You know, right. I mean, there's right, there, there's yeah. a, there's a there's a lot of those that that happen. Do the Angels trade uh, Dante Bichette for Dave Parker? Yeah. Right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I mean, there's there's a whole. There's I mean, a whole, if if the Angels yeah. are in the National League, they 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 have to think about their roster differently. Yeah, and as they think about their roster differently, that means they're going to be looking for different types of players. So instead of you know pulling a a, a Fred Lynn or a Bob Boone or a Doug Desinse, yeah, you know you you gotta you gotta you're looking at different types of players. Yeah. So the '79 Angels probably don't happen. You know. Yeah. Uh, and 80, 82, 86. Probably don't happen. Yeah, exactly. And well, maybe it would have happened if that guy for the uh, Phillies didn't get out. What didn't take the fishing trip, and they would have uh, put the DH in. Right. But again, that's a whole another thing. That changes the whole thing too. <laughs> All right, let's move 1966, and this is kind of one of the the reasons why the Dallas move to the Dodgers makes sense in in the writer's timeline. Okay? Mm-hmm. All right. Meanwhile, there's still a Senators problem to deal with. In reality, the team best known for being first in war, first in peace. And last in the American American League, League. moved uh, to become the Twins in 1961. But in this alternate timeline, the Giants beat them to it, and so the struggling centers had to look elsewhere. So they looked south to Atlanta, which had been booming in the post-war era. Earl Mann, the long owner of the Southern League's Atlanta Crackers, was known as Mr. Atlanta Baseball, and he had been looking to bring big league ball uh, to the South for years. He'd actually been rumored to trying to buy the Browns way back in 1941. While he denied it, he did say, I'm in the market for a big league ball club, but not the Browns. Whether that was a denial of the rumor or a mild dig at the team that had finished sixth or lower for 10 straight seasons is up to you. In reality, Atlanta Mayor Ivan Allen Jr. had ordered what would be called Atlanta Fulton County Stadium to be constructed in 1963 before a team had even been procured. Working together, Allen and Mann extract the Senators south. The Atlanta Senators has a certain ring to it. Uh, I think that you would have probably changed the name. You know, probably, because, I think so. Yeah, too. because, yeah, you can't really have a, uh, a, pl- a team based around the nation's capital. When you're not at the nation's capital, I'm going to throw out a wild theory then. Okay. So Atlanta no longer has no need for the centers because that just doesn't sound right. They look, you know, and by this time the Lakers are in Los Angeles and people are looking at that probably going, Los Angeles has no lakes. This is stupid. Right. Makes sense. I don't want to make the same mistake unless you're the New Orleans Jazz (laughs) (laughs) moving to Utah where music is not allowed. Yeah. but um, so they need a new name, and it's sixty six. Well, let's name it after a bird. Well, we can't name it after the Falcon Falcons because the Atlanta Falcons have already done that. Hey, what's the uh, national? What's the state national bird? Or what's one bird that's associated with the state of Georgia? What about the Thrashers? And the Atlanta Thrashers become join the major league join Major League Baseball. If you don't know any hockey history, you know that eventually this happens. 
Yes. Um, with, with, a, with a second iteration of an NHL team in Atlanta uh, after the Flames. Yep. That's a whole other story, too. Yep. And the Atlanta Thrashers last in the NHL for 10 years, never won a playoff game, let alone a playoff series. And then they moved to Winnipeg to become the second version of the Winnipeg Jets. And now we're in last episode. That's a that's cool. The- <laughs> that's a whole other ridiculousness. But yeah, that would be that would be an awesome name if they moved instead of the Senators. That they would be the Thrashers because the that would, Thrashers. Yeah, yeah, that that makes a ton of sense. And maybe the Giants uh, change their name to the Twins for the Twin Cities. They they might. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, let's let's continue. A couple more. To, let's get expansion. So we're kind of back to to, to even things out. Mm-hmm. So to balance balance things out, the Mets are born to bring National League Baseball back to New York, just as they are now. But when they make their miracle run to the World Series in '69, they don't beat the Orioles; they lose to the Browns. <laughs> <laughs> and right? again, in my timeline, it was like the Mets don't exist. So <laughs> what happens there? Right? I mean, what? What team? What city is without a team at that point? Right. Um, you got to make the, up something. In your timeline, you got to make up something, or uh, else you don't expand expand as far. Possibly, you know, there's a few places you can put them in Kansas City. You can put them in Milwaukee. You can put them in Seattle. We're going to get to all those cities. In I just know a we are, <laughs> and I pick Kansas City specifically because that's a whole other thing. <laughs> All right, so rather than to put, I'm back on the article again, rather than put a second Senators franchise in Washington through expansion, as happened in 1961, the American League expands to Baltimore, giving birth to the Orioles. The Houston Colt 45 still appear in 62, soon becoming the Astros. Uh, They just do so in the American League, getting a 40-plus year head start on the league they will eventually call home in our world. Later in the decade, the quartet of expansion teams that we remember, AL's Kansas City Royals and Seattle Pilots and National League's Montreal Expos and San Diego Padres are still constructed in the same way. So now the Mariners end up not existing. Right. Because the Pilots go to Seattle and they stay there. Okay, in his timeline, they stay there. Okay. Well, in that case, in my timeline, then maybe the O'Malley takes his talents to – uh, the, instead of expanding to the Mets because O'Malley's still in New York, they put an expansion team in Milwaukee after uh, the Braves leave. Yeah, but the Braves here the are Braves still are there. The Braves are still there. That's right. Yeah, the Braves are still That's here. That's right. I forgot about that. <clears throat> so uh, the Padres, however, I'm back into the article. The Padres, however, choose not to wear brown. That's so notable today as to not look too closely like their Southern California market rivals, obviously the Browns. Mm -hmm. Instead, they choose the classy blue and red of the longtime Pacific Coast League Padres. And then the the author says there are still too many blue and red teams. There are. It's true. Yeah. And they got Texas. The Rangers can't decide. Are they blue? Are they red? What are they? Not as bad as the White Sox. Oh, that is true. True, true, true. We have red. We have blue. We have red. We have blue. Make up your mind. Uh, meanwhile, the Milwaukee Braves remain in Wisconsin, where they continue to exist to this day. Without a desperate need to return baseball to his beloved hometown, Braves minority owner Bud Selig never takes full possession of the team as he eventually did with the Brewers, and thus never becomes commissioner. And he never needs to try to make that play to push the White Sox out of Chicago. Yes. So that's another thing. So. Long story short, Bud Selig tried to lure, was behind the team to try to lure the White Sox into Milwaukee after the Braves moved to Atlanta. It didn't work. Nope. Nope. All right. Uh, Let's reset a few things. All right. A lot has happened. In the 1970s, Major League Baseball has expanded to two divisions in each league. 24 teams look like this. In the AL East, we have the Atlanta Senators. You would rename them the Thrashers, of course. Right. The Baltimore Orioles, the Boston Red Sox, the Cleveland Indians, the Detroit Tigers, and the New York Yankees. Uh, in the AL West, we got the Chicago White Sox, the Houston Astros, the Kansas City Royals, the Los Angeles Browns, the San Francisco A's, and the Seattle Pilots. All right. But here, here's the thing. Okay, so here's the thing about Seattle, though. And this is something that he doesn't go into, but knowing what you and I know, Seattle Stadium was an absolute dump. It was beyond oh, a dump. It was, yeah, a it lot was, of things would have to happen for them to stay. They they played in a stadium that was essentially untenable. 
So I still don't think Seattle, the Seattle pilot stage is because they were kind of, well, because remember the whole reason they existed was because Charles uh, Kaufman in Kansas city forced the major league first forced the MLB's hand into giving the a giving Kansas city a team two years later because they were going to expand in 1971 and he said, "No, that's not good enough. We lost the A's. Finley ripped them out. I want, uh, I want a new uh, team earlier than that." And so that kind of forced them. Well, here, Seattle, and they gave you know gave him in this horrible thing, Sink Stadium, I think it's called. And uh, you know, there's a little plaque by like a Walgreens out there that right. you know it's, it's ridiculous. Not, not so I, I still think you know because of that, it's untenable. And I think Seattle winds up moving. Yeah, and, and I was just as you're talking about that, I was starting to think where where would Seattle move? And I thought of I thought of two two markets that I think that they could move to. First would be Denver. Yep, you know I think they could move to Denver because Denver already had um, you know uh, um, uh, an established minor league team playing in there. They had as you have a big enough fan base, you could you could do it. The other one that came to my mind, and I don't think this is a really good idea, but the other I'll just share it with you. The other thing that came to my mind which doesn't have baseball, major league baseball to this day would be like Salt Lake City, you know, Mm -hmm. but it's probably, there's probably not enough infrastructure at that particular time to have a team there, but but Denver, definitely. I will give you another thing, and maybe this is where we put my Wobegon Mets uh, franchise in my model. Louisville, Kentucky. Yeah. Home of the Louisville Slugger. Yeah. Draws 2 million fans every year. You know, it's you know, very famous for just having a big draw as far as uh, minor league fans. So that could have worked. Portland would be another possibility for Seattle. I would thought I thought Portland, yeah, or even I would have thought Vancouver because yeah, absolutely they put a team in Montreal. Yeah, why not put a second Canadian team up in Vancouver? Yeah, yeah, and that would have survived. I think fascinating. All right. Uh, let's do National League. So in the National League East, we've got the Chicago Cubs, the New York Mets, which don't exist in your timeline, the Montreal Expos, the Philadelphia Phillies, the Pittsburgh Pirates, and the St. Louis Cardinals. In the National League West, we have the Cincinnati Reds, the Dallas Dodgers, the Los Angeles Angels, the Milwaukee Braves, the Minnesota Giants, and the San Diego Padres. That's just kind of weird. That's really weird uh, just because... You have how many teams on the West Coast in that? Well, um, Los Angeles Angels, San Diego Padres in National League West. Yeah. And that's just strange because, you know, obviously I'm used to having three, you know, three National League teams in California. Right. Which is just kind of weird. Um, so at this point we're still at 24 teams. Right. Well, we'll get in. We'll get into a, the Blue Jays and the Mariners haven't yeah. happened yet. Correct. Um, so, uh, 1974, uh, Washington gets a team back. Sounds crazy, but this one almost actually happened as the May 8th, 1973 edition of the San Diego union shouted, the Padres have been sold to a group of Washington businessmen with the franchise being delivered to the capital, the conclusion of the current national league season, unquote, uh, with his team, at 16 and 31 and 13 games out of the division, manager Don Zimmer's sense of humor remained intact. If we're going, I hope I go. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they modeled uniforms. They appeared on baseball cards, even as, as were listed on a tentative official 1974 National League schedule opening at home in Washington against the Phillies. And there's links in the article that you can see the uniforms wow. and the, the cards of the players that said Washington National League. Fascinating. Did they actually give them a team name? They did. They would have been called the Washington Stars. Awkward that's pause for Richard. That's just a bad name. Yeah. Washington not, not, stars. Not good. I'll show you yeah. a picture when we're done recording. Yeah, not like good maybe stuff. the presidents or the who knows. Yeah. Well, the the flag of the the city of DC has three stars on it, right? So maybe yeah, you know the American flag obviously has stars, so right. there's a connotation there. But yeah, weird Washington yeah, stars. Could, could have called them the Capital Stars, right? 
Anyways, well, we're, no, now, because now we that, in '74 you would have had the Washington Capitals at that uh, time. Not going to happen, right? All right, this didn't happen in reality for a variety <laughs> of reasons, mainly lease issues with in San Diego and financial backing issues with the presumed new ownership. But in our alternate world, it does in part because our Washington uh, has lost only one team, not two. Mm-hmm. In this scenario, Tony Gwynn plays in Washington. So does Dave Winfield. Lady, later, Trevor Hoffman does as well. And today, that's where you'll find Fernando Tatis Jr. And yes, that means that decades later, the Expos stay in Montreal. Congrats on your 2019 World Series win, Canada. <laughs> now, does Dave Winfield then go to New York? Yeah, right? As that's a whole other letter that this is to get into. Some of these teams... Um, uh, does Reggie Jackson wind up going to, uh, you know, f- test the free agent market because there's no Baltimore for him to land at because there's, you know, there's no Baltimore Orioles as we know it. Yeah. Because remember, he was an, or- he went to the Orioles for a year because they were a very good team. Yeah. I mean, we get, we get the Orioles in here. Anyways, that's a, that's yeah, that's a whole other yeah. what if. That's a what if within a what if. All right, so 1977 to the present, everything uh, unfolds sort of as it did, kind mm-hmm. of. All right, so baseball expands to Toronto in 77. Um, but in our world, the pilots stay in Seattle rather than fleeing to Milwaukee. The original owners sold uh, to well-heeled local interest after one season, and their uniforms are excellent. San Diego Padre... Uh, San, sorry, San Diego Mayor Pete Wilson, future governor of California, had been threatening to sue since the moment the Padres broke their lease. So he satisfied with an expansion team, an American expansion team. And this is exactly how the Mariners and Royals really come back into existence. And they'll be, still be called the Padres, just as the real world senators took the name of their departed predecessors. So the Mariners come in as the new Padres. All right. All right. In 93, Denver and Miami received their teams. In 98, Phoenix and Tampa Bay would as well. Ironically, the team Tampa Bay, uh, the Tampa Bay team later considers relocating to the Oakland Coliseum, though the move never happens. <laughs> All of which makes the present-day version of my, uh, Major League Baseball in 2020 look like this, in this reality. All right. Ready? AL East is the Baltimore Orioles, Boston Red Sox, New York Yankees, Tampa Bay Rays, Toronto Blue Jays. Now, of course, those Orioles are a different Orioles, that whole thing. All right. Yeah. The AL Central would be the Atlanta Senators. You again call them the Thrashers. Uh Chicago White Sox, Cleveland Indians, Detroit Tigers, and the Kansas City Royals. And then the AL West would be the Houston Astros, the Los Angeles Browns, the San Diego Padres, the second version of the Padres, which would be what we would say would be the Mariners. Yeah. Right? The San Francisco A's and the Seattle Pilots. Fascinating American League. That's that's just kind of like they put a bunch of teams in a blender. In the <laughs> right. West just put it, yeah, yeah. All right. National League. Uh, East would be the New York Mets, the Miami Marlins, the Montreal Expos, the Philadelphia Phillies, and the Washington Senators. The Central would be the Chicago Cubs, Cincinnati Reds, Milwaukee Braves, Minnesota Giants, and the Pittsburgh Pirates. And the NLS would be the Arizona Diamondbacks, Colorado Rockies, Dallas Dodgers, Los Angeles Angels, and the St. Louis Cardinals. So you got no I mean the Rangers are gone yeah. in this whole thing. Like they they don't even they, exist. They vanish. Completely. Yeah. Fascinating. That's kind of sad. Uh, Back to the article. It is different in some ways. It's probably inconceivable. Then again, some of what actually happened seems pretty inconceivable, too. If the Browns had moved to Los Angeles in 1942, Major League Baseball probably wouldn't look exactly as we just spelled out. But it wouldn't look exactly as it does now, either. As Barnes, the... Um, the then former Browns owner said to the Sporting News, looking back upon the whole affair in 1957, just after learning the Dodgers and Giants would move west. What's so wonderful about that? The National League is running 16 years behind schedule. If you recall, we missed by just one day of putting American League ball, the St. Louis Browns, in Los Angeles for the opening of the 1942 season. One day. One single day. All of baseball could have looked absolutely Unbelievably, incredibly different. That's just that's just wild. Amazing. It's uh, just crazy. 
I, I, I love that article. I, I love the, the mind games of where it goes. And like I said, I, I didn't necessarily say I would agree with all of those moves mm-hmm. and, and you didn't either. And that's fine too. But I think there's, there's just some, you know, it, it gets into that whole multiverse um, reality. Is right. there a universe where this actually happened? Yeah. You know, I don't really know. And again, in, you know, in the, with all these moves that happened, a lot of these moves happen in the era of the multi-purpose stadiums. Right. And you got to think on some level, some of this affects uh, what happens to the NFL. It has the to. AFL. The Seattle is a whole other thing. I still don't think the uh, uh, Seattle Pilots stay there because that stadium was beyond yeah. awful. There's no way. Yeah, not going to happen. But the kingdom then was built as a multi-purpose stadium. Yeah. If they don't necessarily need to have a multi-purpose stadium in place, say if this scenario happens and they build a better baseball stadium for them in 72-73, does the NFL then award, or does the city of Seattle feel the need to build the kingdom? Yeah. And and does Seattle have the Seahawks, they get the team, do they have an outdoor stadium from day one? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Or, or or is there some sort of an, an agreement with Husky Stadium at the University of Washington? You know, um, yeah. Or mm-hmm. maybe they don't. Maybe, maybe they don't even expand. Maybe, maybe the Seattle um, Seahawks don't even exist. Yeah. Or maybe the you know, with uh, again maybe the because of the way the you know the Met or this the Met gets built a little bit different because they have more of a guarantee. They don't have to necessarily lure a team uh, to Minnesota. The stadium looks a little bit better. The Vikings get a more uh, football-friendly stadium. Yeah. And the Metrodome doesn't exist. Yeah, right. No Homer Hankies? No Homer Hankies. Yeah. Or the, yeah. Big, the big trash bag. That no hefty bag. Yeah. Jack Morris's uh, Game 7 91 never happens. Right? Yeah. Fascinating things. That's just... Yeah. And we probably don't have the big Viking ship then, too. That no, we have now. you don't. And think of all the World Series matchups. You know, I mean, the Vic Wirtz home run uh, is a perfect example of that. But all the remarkable World Series things that don't happen. You know, I mean, he alluded to the Amazing Mets story not happening. Um, Hank Aaron's, you know, 715th home run that, that gets hit in Atlanta when he's a member of the Braves. Yep. Doesn't get hit in Atlanta. Yeah. It's hit Milwaukee, does theoretically. It get hit, and it doesn't get hit against the Dodgers, probably. Probably not. It probably gets hit against the... the Browns, uh, of course. No, <laughs> it's it's in the National League, so probably off the Minnesota Giants. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. Who are now probably known as the Minnesota Twins. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, Rich, that, that, was, that was fun. That was a fun exercise. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for playing along. Um, any, any last closing thoughts about all this? Just... Uh, it's just really good to show just how things can change. You know, the whole cliche game of inches. Oh, right. You know, it really just, in this case, just a game of hours. Just how one vote. I mean, they have that meeting, you know, even it doesn't have to be, you know, 24, 36 hours. It could have been 12 hours because of the way the news traveled. Mm-hmm. You know, they could have announced it. Two hours before news about Pearl Harbor breaking out, right, right, and it would have just been. And then, what do you do in that case? Yeah, do they do you continue with? You said yes, we're going to do that, but but the the whole landscape of sports changes with when World War Two hits, and that's a, that's, that's an episode. going to be an episode in the future yeah. because that affects everything. I mean, it wiped out half the NHL. Yeah, it uh, you know you had you know it caused uh, football teams to merge. Right. Mm-hmm. It caused the St. Louis Browns yep. to do things like hire a one-armed outfielder. Right. Yeah. So uh, it's all kinds of fascinating stuff. Yeah, and th- we're actually working on that episode, too. That That's going to be a fascinating uh, It's going to be great because yeah. I'm doing the research already, it's, there's just so much to uncover there and so much to unpack. 
Absolutely. Well, let's uh, let's land this ship. How about yep. that? All right. Um, a fun start to the podcast. Uh, two episodes in. Uh, thank you guys for listening, taking the time. Uh, maybe you're taking us uh, on a walk uh, on your drive. We really do appreciate it. If you do have a topic idea for us, if you want to uh, chat with us, if you want to agree, disagree, you can send us an email. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Oh, uh, we have a Twitter account. We do? We do. Oh, my uh, gosh. I'll put it in the show notes. I don't remember what it is, at Athletic Obscura or something like that. We Anyways. actually use Twitter. Uh, I use Twitter. You You're checking have, it then. I will be checking it. That's yeah. all right. But if you uh, uh, subscribe, rate, comment on your podcast platform of choice, that's going to help us out a ton. Uh, again, you can support this podcast financially. We have some costs that we need to cover. Uh, there's a link for that in the show notes. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, feel free to connect with us, and we'll get the ball rolling on that. Don't forget to check out anchor.fm for all of your podcast needs. We appreciate them for all that they've done for us. And um, that's all the stuff on my piece of paper. Until next time, we invite you to another discussion of the weird, strange, and unknown in sports. Adios, everybody. Hey, it's Tim from 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys, the comedy podcast you had no idea you needed. Join Ben, Jeff, and me as we continue our musical road trip back through the years and around the globe. See, just when you thought all white guys were like Joe Rogan, you come across three educators trying to remember when we were cool. 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. Electric Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An electric cast production. See you there. Electric acid. Electric acid.